and welcome to the Violin Class Podcast, which is a podcast for people who are learning the violin as an adult. My name is Julia, and I'm a violinist and violin teacher, and I'm here to share my tips and experiences to hopefully make learning the violin a bit easier. Quick announcements before we get into this week's episode. We have some new listeners, so I just wanted to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. And a huge thank you to all of you who have left a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so far. I've got eight and I would love to get to 10. So if just two of you could take one minute to leave a rating or review, that would be super helpful in a free and easy way of supporting the podcast to make it easier for others to find. All right. So this episode, I'm super happy to welcome in a guest. Today is a discussion with classically trained violinist turned Irish fiddler, Hannah Harris. Hannah grew up learning from the Suzuki method when she was young, but fully transitioned into Irish music after graduating college and then also uh, spent a year studying in Ireland and graduated with a master's in ethnomusicology. Hannah is going to be sharing some of her expertise about the fiddle world, which is super interesting considering her ethnomusicologist background. And she's also going to give tips for anyone who is interested in trying out fiddle music, but doesn't really know where to start. I love to dabble in Irish fiddle music from time to time, and I learned so much in our 30-minute conversation, and I think you will too. And this little transition music is straight out of her album, Tea for Tunes, which you should definitely check out if you're into Irish music. It's great. I've linked it in the show notes. Well, thank you, Hannah, for joining me today and chatting a bit about fiddle music. So uh, yeah, I was reading your bio and you have a classical background, then you transitioned into Irish fiddle, and then also you are an ethnomusicologist. So can you talk us through kind of what that journey looked like for you? Because that's like kind of three careers in one. Yeah, well, hi, Julia. It's great to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. Um, and yeah, it all it all combines somehow with with the ethnomusicology, the classical, and the um, the fiddling. So I started off as a classical violinist, and I did that from about age five all the way up through college. Mm -hmm. And halfway through college, I realized that I didn't really want to be an, an orchestra player or um, following the classical route necessarily. But I had had this interest in Irish fiddle music for a long time, really since I was maybe eight or nine. And I kind of played it on the side, didn't really know how to sound like an authentic Irish fiddle player necessarily. And so it was kind of more of a side interest. But when I realized that I loved music so much, but I didn't want to go the classical route, I started to branch out and think of other ways that I could go about doing this. And since uh, my school, Furman University, didn't offer any sort of Irish music program, mm -hmm. I made it all work by tying in the ethnomusicology. So that way oh. I could look at that scope, um, just broaden that out a little bit and go from just doing classical to actually studying other musics in the world. And so I doubled that with an anthropology major. Wow, okay. And I like to say, I like to say that ethnomusicology is when music and anthropology get together and have a baby. That's okay. ethnomusicology as a field. Uh -huh. Um, is it really just is, you know, the study of other music cultures in the world. And I mean, it's such a, it's such a broad sphere because there's literally every music could qualify. Mm -hmm. um, so it's hard to target down to what exactly ethnomusicology is. But I think the more you get into it, the more you get a kind of a working definition around what it is. Okay. Wow. So you did all your auditions and stuff for a classical program and then halfway through 
you changed your degree to ethnomusicology? Is that what, what it was? Essentially, like it was as close to ethnomusicology as I could get. So I kept mm. the music degree, but I changed from music performance to just a general music degree. I had all my credits for that pretty much. So I had the space in the next two years to just do the this also a smaller anthropology degree. Okay. So it all ended up working out and the timing was fine. And yeah, I guess it was just meant to be. Wow. And then you went on to do a master's program as well in Ireland. Yeah. So I um I got my master's degree at University College of Cork. And because it was over in Ireland, I knew that I would um, be able to kill two birds with one stone there because it was the Irish music with right. my interest and also the ethnomusicology sphere and actually having the program available there. That's so cool. And do you still play classical music here and there like for fun or... I do. I'm actually, I'm rereading one of my old favorite books. Uh, It's by Arnold Steinhardt called Violin Dreams. And he's going on about, yeah, going on about the Bach Chacon and everything. And I'm just like, I really want to listen to some classical music right now. And (laughs) like I have, you can see in the video, I have all my books lined up there. Like the left half is fiddle and the right half is all the classical stuff I didn't really want to get rid of. So yeah, they look very organized for anyone who's (laughs) listening. (laughs) I've kept my stuff around here. Yeah, I've, I'm uh, a little bit type A. <laughs> cool. So for someone who, let's just say someone who's listening, who's not a violinist and has heard kind of the word violin and fiddle thrown around, what's the difference between a violin and a fiddle? There's so many different ways to answer the question. Some people say it's a stylistic thing um, and it depends on what tradition you're talking about. And I heard something interesting years ago that violin makers, so luthiers, actually will make an instrument that sounds more fiddly or sounds more like a violin. And typically the fiddle tone is more is darker, more mellow, mm-hmm. um, maybe even a little bit more muted because it's kind of a more intimate setting. Like you imagine a fiddle seen as being like a session, like everybody circled around uh, in a pub or at a campfire and and, um, either jamming or having a more structured session. And then a violin, you might be standing in a concert hall and you're supposed to let the instrument like ring out and fill the entire room with your, with your magnificence as my (laughs) professor used to like to say. Cool. And then as far as the, the actual fiddle style, the Irish fiddle style, I know you have a background in other, I think you mentioned old time and some other styles as well, but what, like, you know, when, when we listen to, to Irish fiddle, like we're, we know exactly what it is and what is it about the style that makes it sound um, so unique and so different from the other fiddle styles? I would say it's a little bit more fluid and connected. And part of that's just Mm -hmm. because there's more slurring as opposed to separate bows. Mm -hmm. Um, And there, I mean, again, there's so many different Irish fiddlers and different styles out there. You can get really into the nitty gritty and go like regional styles or Mm. personal, uh, like based off of a specific fiddler. Um, So you could get that specific with it. But if you're looking at Irish music versus say Scottish or Cape Breton, then I would say, those other styles are a little bit more separated and they're still a very similar energy. So it's like very specific detailed listening that you have to go through in order to identify what's what. But I would say if you're looking for some distinct difference, you can check for like how smooth and connected the sound is. Okay. And so when you talk about those regional differences, 
is that something that you can just let someone who's studied this style? Can you just listen to a fiddler and be like, Oh, they're probably from here. They've studied here. Is it that kind of thing? Sort of. I mean, and for me, like I cannot pinpoint my own style. So (laughs) I have no idea. Like I've spent a lot of time in Cork. So I would say maybe I have some of the sleeve lucre style, which is that Southwest region of Cary Cork and Limerick over there. But there are some, some really obvious differences. Like you could tell the difference between the South and then more North, like in Donegal, because that's closer to a Scottish fiddle sound. Mm. But then there's the whole, can you tell the difference between a Donegal fiddler and a Glasgow fiddler when they're right across the channel from one Mm. another? (laughs) So that's, um, that's more detailed than I can get into. (laughs) Wow. Do you find that especially like maybe now and more modern styles of fiddling that are evolving, that there are a lot of people that do more hybrid things uh, or Absolutely. yeah. And, the, and is that like frowned upon at all in, in the fiddle world or is it just kind of how it's evolved or a little bit of both? It's, it's a little bit of both. There is definitely a binary of trad uh-huh. and innovation. Um, it comes up in every single ethnomusicology conference in Ireland. Um, okay. There's like, definitely there's people that are on the strict traditional side. And then there's the people that believe more in the living, breathing tradition that needs uh-huh. to grow and evolve and keep up with the times. And I would say I'm more in that path, um, uh-huh. uh, just for like the sustainability of that concept. But there is, I mean, there are times when you can take innovation a little bit too far and maybe it just suddenly doesn't sound like Irish music anymore. Fair enough. Yeah. It sounds actually pretty similar to the kind of discussions in the classical world, actually, when you put it that way, they've got yeah. <laughs> camps. And what about, uh, cause you're based in Michigan. So what are the differences that you've observed kind of in, in your area? Or, I mean, I don't know if you're comfortable speaking for the entire United States, but, um, in American styles of Irish fiddling compared to what you find in, in Ireland. We'll be right back after this quick break. The Violin Class Podcast is brought to you by my very own private violin studio. If you want to bring your violin playing to the next level, if you find that you're stuck on a certain technique or a piece, you're having trouble making progress, I would love to help you work through whatever challenges that you're working right now on violin. So if you're looking for a violin teacher to help guide you in your progress, or if you're self-teaching, and looking for a one-time lesson to check in and work together to make a plan for your violin playing going forward, I would love to work with you. I've been teaching violin online to adult amateurs of all levels for over a decade, so if you are interested, you can reach out to me at violinclasspod at gmail.com or through my website at violinclass.co slash contact. And yes, beginners are always welcome. On that note, let's get right back into the episode. Depending on where you are, there's um, like, I would think of Chicago and Boston as being the big like places that lots of people associate with Irish music, just because there's so much of an immigration movement um, Mm -hmm. to those areas. But Michigan, where I am, actually has a very strong Irish immigration um, 
history as well. Like I used to live in Emmett County, which is named after Robert Emmett. So the Irish Patriot. Um, and then we have similar counties. We've got a Clare, Michigan. We have mm. County Roscommon. There's a Tipperary Lane down in Traverse City. So mm. you can definitely see like just based on the naming that there were a lot of Irish people in the area. And there's still, I'd say there's still a fair amount, um, maybe more, more Polish. I married into a Polish family. So <laughs> definitely my region is more that, but um, yeah, absolutely. There's uh, just surprising places that may not seem obvious and may not be covered much in media as far as having a strong Irish music scene. But when you actually go there, you realize that the roots are, are present. Okay. And do you find that people play in similar ways or like, is it possible to tell that someone's like, is there an accent almost like, oh, I can tell that you're American just by the way you play Irish music or is that not really a thing? It, you know, it might be for some of the bigger places. Like, I mean, people will tell me, oh, I can tell you used to play classical music. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I must have snuck some vibrato in there or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as far as like an American style, I don't think I hear that as often. Okay. So kind of jumping off of that classical thing. So what are some of the main differences that you would say are are there between classical technique and more fiddle technique? How could you tell that someone is just a classical player who's playing some fiddling versus a true fiddle player and not to gatekeep either of those things, but um, just how can you, how, how can you hear those differences for someone who doesn't have that trained ear? A fiddle player can always benefit from classical technique, I would okay. say. Um, mm-hmm. And I know plenty of other fiddlers who would agree with me that if, mm-hmm. whether, whether they made the same switch that I did, uh, we all, even if we're not playing as much classical music these days, mm-hmm. we really value that technique. Um, and I think that it's so, so well put together and well studied that it's a great, um, it's a great basis to have regardless of what style you end up playing. Okay. But as far as being a classical musician and sounding like you're playing fiddle tunes rather than a fiddler playing reels and jigs. Um, I would say it's almost more stiff sounding. Um, mm-hmm. like you're reading directly off a page, you're directly interpreting what's on the page, but with Irish fiddle music, that's more of a, an oral, um, tradition. So you're learning by ear and it's being passed down, um, word of mouth. And even though we have sheet music, um, it's not going to be a true interpretation of a tune. Like you could look at a piece of music and sometimes it doesn't even have a, a note at the end to close off the tune because it's meant to go into the next tune and be more cyclical. Oh, okay. So you could read straight off the music and be like, it stops abruptly and it doesn't sound right if I'm just mm-hmm. playing the one tune. So you have to make up a note to go with it. Or maybe you're playing a role and it's notated one way and you'd read it a certain way with a classical training, but then you look into it as a fiddler and you know that it's supposed to sound differently. It's not written exactly what's on the page. Okay. So if let's say if someone is a classical player and they're interested in, in fiddling, but they've never taken any class or classes or done anything other than maybe you have one of those anthology books that has all the fiddle tunes. I have like a couple of those sitting on my bookshelf. How could one start to learn the style maybe on, on their own if they're just kind of fiddle curious, we could say? I would always start with listening. I think you'd agree but this mm-hmm. is the classical player. Um, there's just so much value in internalizing the music and really 
getting an idea of what it's supposed to sound like. I think it's a lot easier to directly translate that onto your instrument after a while, if you've been familiar with uh, the tunes, like as a personal example, I grew up listening to great fiddlers like Kevin Burke and Martin Hayes Mm -hmm. and uh, Murray Nesbitt. So I would listen to them and I never knew how to mimic what they were doing. Like I couldn't directly translate it. But once I started to learn, once I started to take master classes from other people, mm-hmm. then it all clicked. And I was like, oh, okay. So I can like, and I knew how it was supposed to sound. So it was just easier down the road to have that uh, listening factor in there. And there's a lot of great books. Um, there's a book that Matt Kranich um, mm-hmm. has edited and Paul McNevin is another great one. Um, and I can give you links to all these if you want to. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll link these in the show notes for anyone who's yeah. interested. Yeah. So those are, those are both great books that I actually never used in my own studies, but I recently bought them for reference. Um, mm-hmm. and I going through them and they've got great stuff in there. So having that listening and that sheet music factor, even if that's what you're used to, I think that, um, you can use sheet music to your benefit even though you're working with a tradition that's meant to be learned by ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you're saying that having that classical background isn't a disadvantage at all when you're learning a traditional style like that. I'm totally biased, but yeah, <laughs> not at all. There's some days where I wish that I'd grown up in a, in an Irish traditional music scene, but th- there's other times I'm like, you know, I'm happy with where I ended up. So um, I, I, if I was able to do it, then other people can too. Mm-hmm. And so as far as practicing, like if we could say that a a traditional classical practice session, we've got, we maybe we're starting off with a couple of technique exercises and then some scales and then maybe an etude and then we're going into studying our pieces. How would that look differently or similar in, in a uh, fiddle practice session? I, you know, I like to give my students uh, different scales to warm up with, like just based on what tune they're playing. Mm -hmm. So if they're playing a tune in D major, I'll give them some D major exercises. If there's maybe more double stops, um, because we have a lot of drones and whatnot in in film music, um, I think that you know, bringing those exercises over from classical music is great. You don't have to do shifting quite so much. There are some fun, like newer tunes that have, that go up into third and fourth position on the mm-hmm. violin, but um, it's not at all necessary in order to get most of the repertoire. So it really depends on um, which tunes you want to learn. And I would, I would do the same thing as classical, probably because I'm classically trained, but mm-hmm. I would select the tunes you're working on and then find different exercises to help you develop the techniques within there. And like, you know, uh, the roll is probably the most telltale Irish ornament. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's also difficult to fit into your phrasing. So I would say play a scale, like just a one octave scale and roll every note to practice the feeling of Mm -hmm. that um, in order to develop that muscle memory better. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And what about, practicing the the rhythm as well because I think that's something at least from a classical musician standpoint that I find very difficult with traditional music is that it's all about keeping a pulse whereas in classical music that can be a little bit more free how would you suggest someone that is struggling with that practice you can go the metronome route but again Mm -hmm. it's the same thing with it not being strictly what's on the page or what Mm -hmm. I mean it usually a metronome is accurate as far as like keeping the beat, but you can kind of play around with the phrasing within it. But I would go even a step further and have, um, and play along with 
professional artists. So whether that's using a slowdown app, like the amazing slowdown or, mm-hmm. um, and like playing along with a tune there. Um, or if you have a teacher who's willing to record stuff at mm-hmm. whatever pace is comfortable for you. Um, it's something I do with my students a lot to help them with their rhythm, just to okay. mimic that feel. And then you can like work your way up to speed with that. Okay, cool been hearing this this uh word thrown out a lot in the fiddle world uh that's a session and I think that's something that's probably really important to the development of anyone who's trying to learn fiddle so could you tell us first of all what a session is and how someone who's never been to one can prepare I have another book recommendation okay <laughs> um, this one is called it's it's by Barry Foy I have it it's the field guide to Irish music sessions oh wow okay it is hysterical it's kind of like a spoof um but it's also very informative okay. of what um what a session is but one of the takeaways there is that a session shouldn't be confused with a jam. So maybe in mm. old time or bluegrass music, you sit around and you have some structure, but there's more soloing going on mm-hmm. um, with the individual instruments. In a session, it's very structured and some of them are more open and welcoming than others. And others are like very strict. This is how it has to be. Okay. Um, again, it's kind of like a tradition innovation uh, debate there. So um a session it would be mostly melodic instruments like usually it's it's preferable if there's one guitar player or one baron the irish drum uh player Mm -hmm. there and that's not to say that that's always how it works out but in your maybe your ideal setting there'd be five to seven players you'd have fiddle flute uh button accordion illin pipes um that's like the irish bagpipes but just played with the elbow uh-huh. Um, and th- those are also much fun. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different melody instruments. Um, actually I have a friend who likes to bring her cello in on occasion, which can be tricky in a, a cramped pub mm-hmm. setting, but, uh, you'll see, sometimes you'll see cello or harp, um, depending on, on the setting, but yeah, mostly like fiddles, flutes, it's kind of the, the usual. And that also depends based on a uh, geographical region. So up here in Michigan, we have maybe one button accordion player and, um, but mostly it's fiddle and flute. So that's why I kind of revert to that when I'm explaining mm-hmm. a session, but it could be at, um, it could be at a pub. Lots of them in Ireland would be at a pub. Um, it could be a mm-hmm. house session, so just at someone's home, okay. or you can uh, up here they uh, rent out a lot of like the library spaces and okay. um, kind of go around in a circle. There's a leader typically to keep things going and to welcome new people in, invite them to start a set of tunes. Um, but it's all you're all you're all meant to play the tunes together as opposed to improving. So it's more like finding a good collective repertoire that you can all sit down and play together. I see. And how would you go about finding one, let's say if you're in an area that you've never been to a session or in a new area, do you just kind of Google Irish sessions, Boston or something like that, or go on Facebook? I would. Yeah. There's, um, if you know somebody in the scene too, I would ask around. Um, but if you're completely new to it, I would even look on the city website just to see what, um, what offerings they have. There is, um, a resource online that I don't think is very up to date, um, that lists a whole lot of, uh, the different sessions, um, both in the U S and Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but (laughs) if I I think of it, I'll let you know. Um, But yeah, there is, there are some online resources out there. Again, I don't know how up to date they are. And I know obviously right now they wouldn't be up to date. Right. Yeah. There's no sessions. So so we're still in this pretend 
COVID-free world, let's say that you've been practicing for a bit, you've learned, I don't know, three tunes. When do you know that you're ready to go to a session? Is something that you recommend kind of just going right away and getting a feel for it and coming home and practice? Or do you have to have a certain level before you go into it? There are sessions tailored to complete beginners or to beginner intermediates. And then there's sessions tailored to advanced players. I would find those beginner sessions and I would sit in, I mean, you might not know all the tunes. You might only Mm -hmm. be able to play one and then have to sit out the rest, which is acknowlededly very frustrating, but, Mm -hmm. um, but you get an idea of like what there is, like what your next step is, like which tunes do you want to um, work up to be able to play with this group. So the beginner sessions are always very welcoming. And I find that the the leaders are pretty like low key chill about mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. So they're always, um, always very nice about getting you in and getting you more interested in, in the wow. music. Um, so I would always recommend going in and sitting and listening at the very least. Like if it's a pub, you could go and, you know, enjoy a meal or a drink or something and, and mm-hmm. listen to the music and maybe you could join in for the one tune that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then they'll invite you back the, the next week if it goes well, or even if it doesn't, maybe they'll invite you back. <laughs> cool. And so, are there any like faux pas or etiquette things that someone that's just starting out should know about? So many, (laughs) a lot of them are in the book, (laughs) which is why it's a funny book to me. Like I I just, I think it's hysterical, but, um, but I would say the biggest thing would be if you don't really know what you're doing, don't try to overpower the other musicians. Like you Mm want to kind of, I mean, you can play like air bow or air finger the notes. Um, mm-hmm. but if you're just like guessing and you're playing the wrong notes all over the place, it's going to annoy the other musicians really fast. Um, the other thing would be to be very mindful of like the tempo, the pulse. And if you have mm-hmm. a baron player or a backer, like a guitarist or bazooki player, even, um, that is actually a lot easier because they're keeping that pulse for you. You just have okay. to stay with them. But yeah, again, if you're not on rhythm, then it throws them off and then they get annoyed and then all the other musicians get annoyed. So that's definitely something to be mindful of. Okay. So it just sounds like basic common sense and respect yep. really should be okay as long as you're you're mm-hmm. listening. Um, as far as tunes, if again, if you're just starting out, are there a couple of tunes that you would recommend that everyone should learn? I would start with tune types. So okay both jigs and polkas are kind of universal tunes. And like, you know, you'll, you'll have a, a like a, a giga is going to sound very different than an Irish jig, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it's similar enough that you can grasp the, the rhythm at least. And then you can kind of get that more subtle swung feel in Irish music. So again, you're kind of, as a, if you're coming in as a classical player, you're eliminating the, a couple middle steps there and, right. um, able to adapt that feel a lot faster. And then polkas, I, for one, I just love polkas because again, okay. I spent a lot of time in cork, but, um, they are, you know, they're fewer notes. So if you're trying to learn by ear, it's less for you to memorize mm-hmm. and they are, um, just very intuitive as far as like the phrasing goes and, um, even even hornpipes are in certain sessions those are easier to play um i would say that reels are probably the most difficult okay. of the tune types because there's so much that you have to go into learning with the the phrasing and the and they're also very fast too so mm-hmm. um that would be something i would save if you're 
if you're going straight in, I would say jigs, polkas, hornpipes, marches, and waltzes, because those are all somewhat crossover to other tune mm-hmm. types that you might know already. Cool. And then what about uh, as far as ornaments go? Let's say you've got some of those tunes down, but you don't really know how to place those ornaments. Is it fine to go into a session without that knowledge yet? And you kind of listen and and pick up things? Yeah. 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 You can play the tunes straight. I mean, there's people, there's professional players that hardly use any ornamentation at all. Um, Yeah. So it's, it all depends. I found that um, mandolin players that also play fiddle might not use quite as much ornamentation just because they're used to playing a different pattern on the mandolin and it, mm-hmm. the ornamentation doesn't translate as easily over. I'm not an expert mandolinist at all. So someone could correct me here, but I've noticed that the people that I play with who are mandolin players as well, they don't tend to use as many ornaments and they're like pro fiddlers. So. Wow. Okay, cool. And when you're, when you're having, you kind of mentioned it earlier with like practicing the ornaments that you just kind of will plunk it onto a scale to get used to it. But is there a certain ornament that you find is the easiest one to start with? Yeah. Um, well, the slide is probably the, slide, the easiest yeah. one. You know, you're just sliding up to the note or mm-hmm. you want to get kind of an old timey feel, you can slide down to the note. Um, mm-hmm. That one's a really easy one. Um, you can add in like triplets. So maybe you have a longer note that you can fit a couple extra notes in the middle. Um, and then there's also the cut, which is more percussive. So that does take a little bit of building up, but you can Mm -hmm. start off as making it just a noted, uh, ornament. And then you can like get better at tapping your finger really fast and it gets that more percussive effect. Um, so yeah, there's, there's ways to build up to all of that, but I'd say the slide and and the, um, bone triplets are probably the easiest. Cool. Well, it sounds like there's a like quite a structure in, in it, really. Like it's not just you open up a book and then you learn the tunes and then you're a fiddler. Like there's quite a lot of stuff that goes into it. And you have a few resources online uh, that you have put out to people that would be interested in learning that. So where could people find you if they want to learn a little bit more about um, transitioning into fiddle or even just picking up the fiddle as a beginner? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you about a couple of different um, mm-hmm. levels that I offer. So yeah. I mean, if you're just meeting me now and you're not ready to invest in my my stuff yet, I do uh, free weekly fiddle tips to my email list. And those are bite-sized. They're meant to be kind of geared towards, I'd say, a beginner and an intermediate audience. Mm-hmm. So some of them might be a little higher level, but um, it's just to give you a quick and easy action item every week to, um, get through and, uh, work towards improving your playing. But then I also have an online course, um, which is all about the bow, which is something we hadn't gotten into quite as much, but I do believe that the bow is one of the most crucial elements Mm -hmm. in getting that ideal fiddle sound. And again, like you're mentioning with the structure, there's definitely a whole, process you can go through like working on tone and phrasing and rhythm so I do a huge deep dive in this course um, and again it is kind of geared t- more towards intermediate fiddlers or classical mm-hmm. violinists coming into fiddle or um, maybe an adult fiddler that's just really trying to work on their rhythm and groove and that's been tripping them up in the past so that's um, what this course is meant for and that's open for enrollment only a couple times a year so if you're mm-hmm. listening to this between April 13th and April 22nd um, it's, avail- it's available for enrollment if that's something you're interested in uh, mastering your Irish traditional fiddle bowing. 
Very cool. Yeah, I would definitely suggest that anyone check that out if they're interested in learning more. You also have some YouTube videos because that's where I found you actually is through uh, your YouTube tips, which were really, really helpful, actually. I'm always so surprised at how many people come to me through YouTube. Like I I did a, um, it was a five video series back when I lived in Cork. So it was 2016, 2017. And they had me, they had me record for this company, Violin Tutor Pro, which I don't think is around anymore, Mm -hmm. but um, they were asking for like different educational videos to put up. And I was like, well, I can teach about Irish fiddle. So Mm -hmm. I did that. I was not at all good being on camera or anything. I was so nervous. Um, at that point, now, now I go live like every week. So I'm, I'm, I'm used to it now, but okay. I could not time, tell at all like, that you didn't know. Well, that's that you still, yeah. You seemed really good. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But yeah, it's, um, yeah. Looking back on those, I'm like, wow, really? Those, those have like that many views. <laughs> so, but it, I mean, you know, all the concepts are still the same. So I'll go back and I'll kind of re-record some of the stuff I talked about. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's all, I like it's all still relevant so I'm, yeah, I'm glad that you found this helpful yeah I think it'd be a cool place to start if someone's just a little bit curious yeah. in your teaching style and stuff I thought that it's really really clearly laid out so I'll definitely link those as well yeah. but Great. yeah thank you so much Hannah for making the time to chat today about uh fiddling I already learned so much well this is so much fun thanks for having me That's it, guys. I hope you learned as much as I did this week. Again, I have linked all of Hannah's information. If you want to follow her on Instagram, she's at Hannah Harris Kill, and you can find that in the show notes. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another interview, this time with one of my own private students who is sharing a bit about her journey through learning violin as an adult so far. And I think you'll find it super, super interesting as well. So make sure to tune back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, uh, you can follow the podcast on Instagram. It's at violin class pod. I post some updates on the show on there, but until then I'll catch you at the next one. (laughs) 